Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. My hand, uh, favor everybody, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing absent from your lives that are needed. And uh, here we go. This is part one of a series called Myths and the Mystics. All right. I hope you enjoy this. It's been a lot of work, a lot of research, a lot of organization of my thoughts. <laughs> Excuse me. Allergy season again. Got this stuff flying around in the air. It looks like dandelion fluff. Except for, uh, <laughs> I happen to be allergic to this. <laughs> like I said, man, you know, <laughs> I'll take the orange allergies back. I don't know if you heard my last podcast. I talked about how life is. <laughs> Maybe it's a mystical journey. You know, I used to be allergic to citrus, and I couldn't have citrus. But the only time it caused me any problems was when I was exposed to it. Now I can just walk outside and start my nose running and coughing and bleh. At least I could control the citrus allergy. Maybe that's a journey, an experience, you know, true mysticism. There's got to be an esoteric meaning there somewhere, huh? <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, the mists and the mystics. And please notice that, that M-Y-T-H-S, myths. I have to go out of my way to pronounce it correctly. Floating teeth affect that particular sound. So when you hear me say myths, I hope it doesn't frustrate you. Because this whole seven-part series... It's about myths and the relationship to the mystics, the true mystics, which I'll get into that, too. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview, you know. Uh, right now, you get an overview. It's uh, myths, um, the mystical aspect of it, the esoteric, the occult, the symbology of myths, um, the role of the mystics in purveying those myths. Um I'm going to get into some of the mythology itself, um, not necessarily totally uh, specific mythology, you know, like Hercules and and uh, Thor and uh, those kind of things. But uh, I'm going to get into the uh, esoteric value of the myths, and then sometimes I will have to use specific mythology to do so. Um, we're going to talk about how the systems work. We're going to talk about the storytellers, um, you know, uh, the differenti differentiation, the metaphor, the analogy, um, you know, the sacrifice part of mythology, um, you know, the historical and the prophetic parts of mythology. Um, you know, uh, and then I'm, uh, I'm going to dedicate part of uh, the idea, the, the true mystics. I'm, I'm going to go through that. Um, and, and I think very important, 
never fails, y'all. It's, it's like the minute I start doing something, you know, I'm way up here on the mountain and somebody goes screaming by down in the valley on some kind of a loud ATV. <laughs> it's a journey. You have to overcome. <laughs> you have to overcome adversity. Like people with loud vehicles a half a mile away that you can hear all the way up here echoing and reverberating. Um, and the hunting dogs are running loose and echoing through the mountains. I don't know if y'all can hear them or not. But uh, I wanted to just kind of give you an overview of what we're going to get into. Um, and then we're going to talk about the hero's journey too because that is one of the largest aspects of mythology. And I will get to that, I promise. I think that is going to be part four. I'm going to divide this into as many pieces as I, as I need to. So if I am halfway through a subject and I'm at about an hour and 15 to hour and 30 minutes, I'm going to stop and that will be a part. And then I will continue in the next part. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I, re I realize how important your time is. And even listening to me at time and a half, an hour and a half is going to take you an hour. Um, as always, I encourage you to play these at at least one and a quarter speed and, and one and a half speed if you have that capability. Double speed if you can listen to it at that speed. And the reason why is because of the conversion. When I record these, I use a digital recorder. I convert it to a file format and then I upload it to Spreaker. So in the process of the recording, the transference twice, and then you downloading it and listening to it, it for some reason slows my voice down. <laughs> so you're getting this like really low rambling, blah, blah, blah. And I don't like that. I don't like wasting your time and I don't like the way it does it. But I have not figured out how to find a fix. Somebody told me if I got a laptop and a recording program, it would work. But, you know, I'm not going to spend the $700 for a laptop capable of handling the audio files the way that I need it with the, uh, what they call a sound program. It's an equalizing program and editori uh, editorial program. And y'all, I don't edit. You guys get what I get. Um, I've even included after podcast conversations for y'all so that you know we are what we are. Um, I don't try to hide things, so I hope you all appreciate that. And before I get going, I want to thank everybody for joining me. Uh, the United States, Mexico, Brazil. Um, my Portuguese is shot, so I'll do it in Spanish. Buenas tardes, buenas noches, buenos dias. Vida con Dios. Whatever your Dios is. Um... Thank you for joining me from Brazil, uh, Canada. Let's see, Canada. Here we go again, y'all. Ireland. Hey, y'all. I've got family over there <laughs> in the province Donegal. <laughs> Still have family over there. Uh, Scotland. Hello to you, too. <laughs> you, too. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Put the word out. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, England, of course. Thank you all. France, Spain, Germany, the Netherlands. I don't know who it is, but thank you. Norway, you have had some beautiful aurora up there. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Russia, nyet vodka, nyet vodka. <laughs> um, China, wow, thank you. Um, Australia, 
Hello down there. It's fall here and spring there. We both have the flu. How's that for awful? Well, actually, I don't have it, but it's going around. You got the spring flu and we got the fall flu. But uh, hello to those of you down under. I wish you a great day, a great week, a great month, a great year, and next year as well. Let's see. We got Guam, the Philippines, uh, Taiwan. Hey, you guys. The People's Republic of China, the true PRC. Hello, Taiwan. Um, Japan, a new one. A couple of new ones in Japan. Thank you all. I appreciate you. Um, I'm trying to remember. There's one in uh, South Africa. Hey, y'all. I've been there. Y'all people, you people were good to me when I was down there. I really didn't want to be there. That was my step-off step point to a, a uh, outbreak. But you all were very accommodating and very good people. Both the black-skinned and the white-skinned. You were all amazing. I appreciate you. Um, I wish you all would realize that you're one people fighting something much larger. And if you fought together, you could succeed. As long as they can keep you divided, then you're going to get more of the same. I'm sorry, y'all. And it's a shame because you're all good people. And uh, Morocco, that's a new one on me. <laughs> I haven't seen anything pop up Morocco in a long time. So all that being done, I have wasted about five minutes um, but it's not wasted. I wanted to thank everybody. And, you know, I don't know your names. I just know where you're at. So I wanted to thank you all. Italy. I forgot. Italy and Greece. Thank you, too. And what was the other one? India. Thank you. I realize that time is valuable and you are spending a lot of time with me lately. Um, it is very greatly appreciated. And I hope that what I convey is helpful. And, uh, you know, those of you in, in a lot of those places have your own mythos. And uh, in many of those places, you understand that your mythos is actually history and prophecy at the same time. So uh, this should be a very good series for you all. Um, and maybe a good series to convey to your friends who don't understand how you view your mythos. Just saying. All right, y'all, you ready to get going? How about this one? Myths. Part one. Myths and the Mystics. Part one. The meaning of life. You know, one of the primary questions that everybody asks is, is life full of meaning or is it meaningless? You know, um, myths give us a uh, theme of living and the challenges that you, you're going to go through. It doesn't matter if it's the, the, the hero's journey or if it's the uh, devil's journey, whatever devil you choose. It doesn't matter if it's cataclysms or renewal. It doesn't matter if it's tragedy or if it's comedy. And you can, you can reverse those because tragedy used to be funny and comedy used to be horrifying, um, if you all are aware of historical contexts. Um, but either way you want to use those terms, is it comedy, is it tragedy? Um, myths convey a search sometimes it's a search for knowledge sometimes it's a, a search for the significant of your individual life or your individual purpose in life um you know there's this, this psychological thing that, that that works with uh sports 
if you watch someone who is very good at shooting free throws, if you just watch them on television even, if you watch them and it's a very well photographed or documented video, if you watch them shoot free throws, then your body, your mind has what they call mirror neurons in it. And those mirror neurons are watching that movement. Now, it may be 90% subconscious, okay? But you're watching those movements. And you're watching that person shoot and consistently make free throws, right? Then you watch that person and they miss one. And you see the finger go off to the side of the ball or the ball come off the hand the wrong way or the elbow doesn't release the way it should or the shoulder, right? And I'm, I'm just talking basketball. I don't know that everyone knows how basketball is played. There are places in the world they don't play basketball. Um, but it's the same with football. It's the same with soccer. If you watch a person who is consistent at making goals playing soccer, they have a very consistent way in which they move their ankle and their foot when they launch that ball. Um, if you're a soccer player and you watch someone kicking nothing but good goals all the time, um, if that's the only footage that you watch of them making goals from the corners, then in foosball, football, not American football, you will learn and your body will mirror that. So as a soccer player, that's what we call it in the United States, everywhere else it's football, and, and they call it American football. But anyway, uh, I'm trying to convey that to those of you who aren't familiar with, with American-style football. Um, but soccer, if you watch a really good player handle that ball, um, a very good example is old Pele. Um, there is footage of Pele with his, his ball handling skills with his feet. If someone watched him play consistently, um, they would become a better soccer player because of the mirror neurons in their brain. Well, that's the same thing with mythology. All right. When you start talking about mythology and it doesn't matter what, <laughs> what orientation of mythology, it could be a Native American, it could be First Nations in Canada, it could be tribal people in Africa or South America, it could be Asian, uh, Chinese, it could be South, uh, you know, the Pacific Islands. It doesn't matter where your mythos, it could be Mediterranean mythos. But when you read these stories, you are learning and living experiences through the examples of others. And most of the time, those adventures uh, that people, you know, they, they wanted to fictionalize it. So we're just going to say right now, we're not, we're not going to have the argument, the debate at the moment. We will get to that. Um, but for right now, let's just, let's just say that, that we're going to accept the fictionalization and the dramatization of life as mythology. Then what you're doing is you're living those experiences through those heroes or those tragedy, victims of tragedy, or the victims of their own decisions. And what happens is, is your mirror neurons, what, what makes you function, is learning without having to do. You know, most of the time, and I've said this before in a comedy podcast, experience the thing that appears five minutes after you needed it. <laughs> well, by living vicariously through mythology and through storytelling, which is what mythology truly is. It's storytelling. It's the oldest art, storytelling. But by living vicariously through mythology, what you're doing is, is you're getting experience that you didn't go, have to go out and have your head cut off to get. You're getting experience that you didn't have to 
go on a 10-year journey across various lands and, and go through all the troubles and tribulations of that individual. Because the myth itself, that story, that that storyteller is relating to you, is giving you that experience. They are telling you what this person did, the choices that they made, the results of those choices. And the result in their, in their lives. So that you do not have to experience those things yourself. Um, the idea of mythology and storytelling um, is very difficult. Because the truly transcendent, transcendent things of life, those things that are spiritual, those things that don't have physical and material nature, those things that transcend into the spiritual and into the ethical and the moral parts of living, those things cannot truthfully be spoken. It's an understanding. It's an, intu it's an intuition. It's, it's a lot of things. But it's not something that you can just say A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, through mythology, through the storytelling of myths and legends, people are able to vicariously live those experiences, even though they, you know, in the, in some, sometimes in history, people never left the hundred acres that they lived on. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, they literally did not leave the hundred acres that they lived on or the village that they lived in. They might go up into the mountains to trade for, you know, food or whatever, or to hunt. But I mean, it was, people had a very limited life. So the mystic amongst them, who was the storyteller, um, a, lot of they, a lot of mystics had multiple jobs. But to live vicariously and to experience those moral dilemmas, those challenges, the, the adversity, was a way to synthesize those experience into, experiences into yourself and to give you moral direction or life direction without having to do the thousand miles or the 10 years or the 25 years or the 50 years of journeying um, to learn. People completely misrepresentate mythology in a lot of ways, and one thing that they don't convey to people is the ability to live vicariously through others. You know, we do it with books, we do it with movies, but see, now there's a convoluted use of the of the myth of the mystic storyteller. Um, you know, there are very very good examples of the mystic storyteller in in movies, um, but then they also weave in these dark overtones that, that kind of throw it off. A very good example, and a lot of people get mad at me because I talk about this, but a very good example of, of one of the most prolific mystic storytellers is George Lucas, Star Wars. The Star Wars saga from beginning to end and all the sub-routine sub books that are, are part of that program. Please notice how I said that, sub-routine program. Um, if you... And, and, you know, I, I, I liked reading the books. I liked reading the books more than I did watching the movies, truthfully. Because the movies gave you a little bit. But when you started reading the books that were written that, that told the greater story, um, it became this epic, you know, like the Odyssey or the Iliad or the stories of Gilgamesh. Um, there is a moral dilemma throughout. There are choices to be made. There are lessons to be learned. You know, what was the downfall of Darth Vader? 
what turned Anakin Skywalker into Darth Vader? Fear. Fear. You know, everybody says, what do you mean? And I said, it was fear. He feared the loss of the people around him. And in manipulating that fear, the emperor was able to take advantage of him. You know, that is something that I have addressed in my podcast many, many times. Is what is there to be afraid of? Death? Death, death is transcendence. Death is true ascension without any, you know, if, you're, if you are aware and you, and you have prepared yourself, death is just a, a, another way of ascending. If you look at the mythology and if you look at the history and if you look at the religious texts, one of the surest ways to ascend is to die because everybody's going to do it, at least at this point in time. You know, in the old days, they might live 5,000, 10,000 years. We don't know. You know, the first age was a very, very long one. How, what if everybody lived a thousand years like Methuselah? Then you've got all that experience and hopefully you've paid attention and done, done what you needed to. And you're prepared mentally and spiritually to ascend, to transcend the physical being. That's what mythology is about. Transcending the physical limitations. Transcending the physical and mental and emotional limitations that humanity has because of our nature, our physical nature, and becoming something better than what you, you would have been otherwise. Um, but to truly transcend it, those things that, that, that the mystic storytellers and the mythology tries to convey can't really be spoken plainly. I can't say it's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I just can't do that. Um, I can't say it's one, two, three, four, five, and six. Those things that are intuitive to a mystic and what have I always told you all and I have I've said it in other podcasts I am a Gnostic not an agnostic somebody accused me of that and I, I emailed them very quickly I am a Gnostic mystic all right say that really fast 10 times or I am a mystic Gnostic maybe that's a better way to say it so they don't confuse it um I I am a mystic, Gnostic, um, in the truest sense, yo, in the truest sense. I talk about the holographic humanarium, and I convey things to you as a storyteller, as a mystic storyteller. I convey it in terms of today, just like the mystic storytellers of before conveyed it in terms that people understood then. And that's where we also get into trouble, because where attempts have been made to convey these transcendent ideas, these intuitive, these spiritual things, where attempts have been made to just blatantly uh, convey this, um, there's this misunderstanding amongst the people, all right? And, and even worse, there has become this irrelevant, uh, irrelevant, yeah, that's a good term too, but irrelevant or ir irreverent, you know, uh, non-sacred, um, blasé, you know, laissez-faire application of these transcendent ideas, you know, and transcendency is just becoming more than yourself, becoming more than the physical representation that you are. Um, you know, a lot of people have the goal of transcending their physical form and becoming a spiritual form. That's great. There are people who are strictly material. They want to transcend from their physical state of being to a higher physical state of being, which seems to me like a waste of your energy. Because if you 
are working spiritually, then you are going to transcend and you're going to find out that all the physical things are the least important. You know, it's nice to have food and clothes and shelter, but those things are always provided. You know, does the bird worry about where it finds its meal? Does a deer or an elk worry about where it finds its shelter? Do the buffalo worry about the storms passing through the plains? You know, there's a, there's a mystic storyteller for you. And, and an example that most people listening to me will understand. Uh, does the rain worry about where it will come from? Or where it's going to? Huh. You know, you watch animals in a field. They don't look up at the sky to see what the weather's going to be like. The cows will move over to one side of the pasture and huddle, away from trees even, <laughs> and a storm will come from that direction. They have the understanding that if you move towards the storm and away from trees, you know, did anybody teach them not to stand underneath the tree when the lightning strikes? I would say that their elders did by example. You know, there's an example of mystic mythology being passed on in a way that we don't even comprehend. It's just like the buffalo, you know, with their migrations. They, they pass on the knowledge by moving, by doing. And that's where we miss out. We don't take the examples of the animals and the life around us to understand, you know. What's one of the most common things that people don't do anymore? It used to be when the trees went to sleep in the fall, people went to sleep in the fall. That was their their recovery period um after harvest winter came and winter wasn't a hardship winter was you take care of what needs to be taken care of you prepare for what's going to be going on the next year you know planting and whatever and uh, you prepare for the winter and winter was when you spent your time together that's the reason why back in the day so many children were born in august and september <laughs> the vast ma vast majority of children for a long long time were born in july august and september you know and there were also you know the, the 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 compromises if you were in the southern hemisphere it was just the opposite by the way um children were created in the winter time while people were trying to stay warm it's just a fact of life um or they were created in the spring spring and they were born in the winter when everybody would be inside they were born in the spring because you got outside and you were refreshed and whatever and uh they were they were they were created in the spring and summer and they were they were birthed in the wintertime when you were going to be inside where they were sheltered anyway um it's just part of the natural process of things and that's another thing you know where attempts have been made to 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 convey this transcendence other than in a mystical fashion um there's been this irreverent irrelevant and irreverent complete lack of sacredness applied and what happens is, is you end up with this uh, rigid and dominant dogmatism being created religions you know the modern religions christianity islam uh, orthodoxy um, the modern rel religions are extremely rigid and they're very dominant over the people that that participate and they have this dogmatism that completely absent it's completely absent of spirituality um tim robbins tim or tom anyway he wrote he wrote a book uh, um another roadside attraction um 
uh, even cowgirls get the blues are two of the very best ones that I like. And it's Robinson. And it's, uh, say it again, another roadside attraction. And even cowgirls get the blues. Very good books. I recommend them to anybody. Um, I don't know what languages you can get them in, but if you speak English, I know you can get them in that. And you can get them on, on Kindle, PDF formats. Excellent books as a reflection of, of the Americas in the 60s and 70s, and, and the world even. Um, but the whole point that I'm trying to get at here is, is he said, you know, uh, religions were created. So they took the fish out of the pond and they stuck him in a fish tank. And the fish tank eliminated all the things that were spiritual, all the creativity, all the exploration. And they gave them dogmatism and indoctrination rather than freedom and natural living. Um, you know, that's not, what he, that's not even close to a quote, but that's what he was saying. They built four walls. They called it a church. And they locked in the language. They locked in the practices into dogma, dogmatism and indoctrination. And they removed everything spiritual from the process. You know, spiritual is growth and expansion and learning. Well, if you have this this and this and this and that is set, you're done. It's like people who graduate from college and say, ah, I've learned all I'm going to learn. Well, they've been well educated if they went to college. But if they stop when they get out of college, they look at me like, why do you know all these things? And I'm a college educated person. It's because you stopped learning. You know, I can say this. I can say that the education that I've had, and, and you know, I've got a whole alphabet behind my names if I want to use them. I can string them together with commas, <laughs> okay? Um, you know, there's my buddy on his motorcycle, if you can hear it. Um, I'm glad he's got it running, though. It makes him happy, even though I can't stand the noise of it. <laughs> it makes him happy. So I'm happy for him. See, there's transcending and overcoming. Um, I like it quiet up here, but I can hear his motorcycle, and he is at least a mile away from me now, closer to a mile and a half going around that corner. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Um, there's an awareness thing that you get as a mystic. You pay attention to symbols and symbology, but you also pay attention to nature and natural. I know where he's at based on the sound that he's making going through those curves almost a mile and a half away from me. Um, but the problem that you get into is, is people, the new systems, the dogmatic systems with no flexibility, what they have done is they, 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 they lack the spiritual. Instead, it's, it's been replaced by re religious, the religious, you know, the ceremony, the, the ritualization, the ritualization. And the religion itself, which is, if you look at what religio actually means, it's just, I told you, my religion is lighting a cigarette and drinking coffee while I'm doing these podcasts, or right before I go to work, or when I'm on break. It's coffee and a cigarette. That is a religion. It is a ceremony. I smoke, I smoke a cigarette and drink coffee before I go do comedy. Even if I have to go outside the clubs now, I would go outside and I would have a cigarette and a cup of coffee with me. And I'd smoke one or two before I had to do my set. That is a religion. By definition, look up the word religio. All right? So what they've done is they've, they've replaced the spiritual with religio and ritual. 
And don't get me wrong, the mystics have rituals that they do in preparation. Very good example. I'm a mystic. My ritual in preparation for you all is to light a cigarette and make sure I have coffee to drink. Because I know my throat's going to get dry. <laughs> and when I'm on stage, I have coffee to drink. And when I'm doing gratuity speeches, I have coffee to drink. That is a ritual with me because when I need to take a pause and take a breath, I'll take a drink of coffee. You'll hear me do it. I don't try to hide it from you all. You'll hear me light a cigarette. I don't try to hide it from you all. I am who I am. And there's another thing. There is no masking of a mystic. They might have things that they occult. Their knowledge might be occulted. Their ceremonies that they use to prepare themselves like meditation might be occulted. But I've even told you how I do my meditation to prepare um, their research techniques might be occulted. I've even told you how I do my research. I haven't hidden anything from you. And see, there's another key, the, the manipulation of wording. If I tell you that I have occulted something from you, all it means is that I've hidden it. That could mean that I put a barrier. I, I've occulted my front porch, y'all. Because I never know, <laughs> I literally have dropped down bamboo shades on my front porch and I drop them down nobody can see in here if they start up my driveway they don't know if I'm sitting here watching them or not and that's the reason why I did it somebody says well but somebody could break into your house and nobody would see them well if they're up at my damn house nobody's going to see them anyway <laughs> but it's an occultation process for me they don't know if, if somebody drove up my driveway they wouldn't know if my front door is open or closed they wouldn't know if I was sitting out here with a shotgun on my porch waiting on them all right. And who says I want to get dressed when I'm sitting out here if the weather's nice? What if I want to sit on my porch buck naked and somebody I don't know drives up my driveway <laughs> with my porch being occulted from them? I can sit up here naked. And nobody would ever know, even if they did drive up my driveway. <laughs> I'm just saying. So uh, being something being occulted just means it's hidden from you. They use an occulter when they're showing you the sun. Why? Because the center part of the sun is so bright that their systems can't see it. They have to use an occulter so that their uh, different wavelengths of vision don't get blocked out by the immense wavelengths coming out of the center of the sun. Just saying. Alright? Just saying. And then they have to use all kinds of filters and stuff um, in order to actually show you the surface of the sun. Those images that you see of the surface of the sun are CGI. They're rendered at different uh, variations of the spectrum, visual spectrum, but those are rend renderings, you all. Anybody who thinks that that is actually what the sun looks like <laughs> doesn't read and doesn't understand the principle of how it's worked. They take data and they convert it to visual. That's the reason why you don't get a, an immediate, you don't have right now looking at the sun because the computers have to render that CGI that you see in those visual spectrums based on what the sensors are picking up. You know, it's like there's a black hole or there's a, a sunspot that's big, big, giant sunspot. Well, what happens is, is the sensors are picking up that absence of certain photons or certain spectra. And when the computer renders it, it renders that absence. And that's the reason why you get the image. But it's not actually a photograph or a video of the sun. There is no way possible to do that with the amount of brightness that comes through it is picked up by sensors. Those sensors are focusing on the sun and those sensors are focusing on the individual light spectrum that are coming off. Each one picks up one. It converts that to data. The data is converted into an image. And 
you know, how accurate that image actually is. <laughs> All it would take is one person changing a one to a zero, and that image could be completely reversed. I'm pointing that out for obvious things. You know, here's the mystic giving you information and knowledge. Um, you know, myths have levels to them. The, the mythology always has levels to it. Um, you know, you have the true mystic mythology or the true mystic stories that, that are told. And that is, is exactly what it is. It contains the esoteric. It contains symbolism. It contains occult, you know, hidden teachings. I say occult teachings. You've got to be careful when you listen to me. If I say occult teachings, I'm just saying it's been hidden from the general population. And spiritual references or natural references. That's what mythology is about. It's about those specific things, the esoteric. Not exo. Exoteric are the things that are out in the open. Esoteric are the things that are subtle, the things that transcend the physicality. And then you have the symbolism. You know, the sun rose into the clouds, and the clouds were red. They shined red, you know. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. Red at night is a sailor's delight. That is a myth. That is storytelling. Um, people say, oh, well, you know, that's a sailor's. No, that's a sailor's myth. Red in the morning, sailor take warning. Red at night, sailor's delight. And a lot of people who have no idea what that means would be going like, huh, that's really esoteric there. Mm. You know, well, for those of you who have never heard this, red in the morning, sailors take warning. That means the storm is coming towards you. And it's a big one. Red at night, a sailor's delight means that you are behind the storm and it won't turn on you. If you're following the trade winds like they used to. Um, but that is a myth. That is a sailor's myth. Um, and it works like all other mythology. You say that to a young child who then becomes a sailor or part of somebody's navy. And they instantly, when they see red in the sky, they know what it means. There's a very, very good example of what would appear esoteric to some and ridiculous and meaningless it takes meaning when you're on board a ship uh, but there, there's no there's levels to myths you have the true mystic which is you know the esoteric the symbolism the occult teachings spiritual references how many people listening to me understand that most of your myths are a spiritual journey it's about transcending your physical state and your physical limitations even your mental and emotional limitations your intellectual your emotional limitations Overcoming your fears is transcendental, uh, transcendent. Yeah, say that a hundred million times and went back to back. Even overcoming your emotions that have been put upon you and understanding that you can control them and overcome them is being transcended. You know, to overcome a physical limitation, say your hand got cut off or you, or, 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 uh, you were a blacksmith and, and you crushed your fingers, that's transcending your physicality. And there are stories, there are myths out there about a blacksmith who lost his hand and he forged himself a new one with his other hand. 
and overcame his physical limitations. I told you I'd use examples. Um, you know, what's happened today is, is there, there's this dualism. You have the mystic mythology. The mystic and the storytellers can convey mythology of all different kinds in all different places. And they will tell you that nature and spirituality is good. What is around you was given to you for, with purpose. Part of the purpose of the nature around you is to listen and to see and to learn from nature. Why did I just tell you about the cows? The cows will move over to the side of the fence where the storm is coming from. They will actually face it. All right. And why do they do that? Because the closer they are to the storm and the further away from trees they are, they're going to survive. They didn't convey that with words. I think a lot of times the words that we have to use to convey things get in the way, especially when you talk about English. So, uh, you know, in English, we have to we have to speak 10 times as many words to convey the same meaning as you would in Spanish or Latin or Greek, um, Italian, German. German's a little bit different. <laughs> but, uh, you know, English makes it difficult. But you, you look at the animals and the things, that, the, the way that they behave. You know, bees are a very good example of nature teaching you when a when bees build their nest up high, that means it's going to be a brutal winter. When they build it down low, it means it's going to be a fairly mild winter. Um, you can watch the, uh, we have a, a wasp here, we call it a mud dauber. They take pieces of mud and they make these beautiful cones and they put them on sides of things like trees and buildings and they put their eggs in there. And depending on the shape of that and the size of it and the thickness of it, it will tell you what they're expecting for winter. The heavier they build it, the worse the winter is going to be. That's learning from nature. You know, that's part of the old teachings. Um, you can watch trees, and early in the year, there are certain trees that, here where I'm at that their leaves will start changing. And when those leaves start changing, the earlier that they change, the earlier that the frost is coming. So the trees are telling you, hey, get prepared. But people don't pay any attention. See, there's where the mystic comes in with his storytelling. And the story of the trees that wake in the spring. And they sing the song of the sun and warmth. And then they fall asleep in the fall. And they sing the song of rest. And contentment. And you know the other part of that story is. Is that the trees are all clothed in brilliance. Um, in the spring they're clothed in the greens and the yellows. Of growth and expansion and in the fall they're clothed in the colors of all the things that they've seen through the summer and then they let it go in the fall and they're content to just be just to stand and to rest and to let go of everything that happened that year so that they're renewed with the bright yellows and greens in the spring it's a lesson. It's a, it's a myth. <laughs> it's a story of how we should be. That's the reason why people lived, as I said before, the way they did. In the fall, they finished what they needed to do. And in the winter, it was a time of rest and preparation for the next year, which is what trees do. Nature. But the dualistic nature, the, dualis the dualism that we're fighting is you have the mystics and the storytellers and the mythology. Saying that nature is good. It's where you learn. It's what you imitate. And yet then you have the rigid dogmatism who not only disparage 
the myths and the mystics, but they tell you that nature is a fallen thing. Everything in nature is fallen. It is a corruption of creation. It is a fallen state. Therefore, it is impure and it needs to go away. Well, you know, even as a Gnostic, I will tell you that this is not the creation. This is a fake. This is a fraud. This is a recreation. This is not near as glorious as what the real creation would be. And we are here for whatever reason. Some argue that we're imprisoned. Some say that we're here as a refuge because the place that we really lived at was destroyed. Some people that say that we're here just to be cycled through for a program to learn from. I don't care what it is. I know this is not creation. Creation, the original creation, was never cold. It was never bitter. It was never suffering. It was pleasant all the time. There was really no day or night. It didn't matter. There was really no rain or storms or anything like that because everything was balanced. Now, when you start seeing imbalance and dualism, then you know that you cannot be in what Creator intended. Some people would argue, I've heard people say, well, you know, it has to be this way because Creator wants to experience everything. No. If you had a benevolent Creator, why would that Creator want to create suffering and misery? When you could create, you know, everybody says, well, it's free will, it's choice. Well, you know, even under the best of circumstances, you would still have choice. You would. You would have choice. Um, because even under the best of circumstances, you still, you're still going to have adversity. You're still going to have to find food. You're still going to have to find shelter. You're still going to have to interact with other people. And even if they're on their best behavior and you're on your best behavior, you're not necessarily going to agree. Let me make an example out of something. If I am traveling and I'm from where I'm at, and this is the ideal world that we're living in, the real creation. This isn't a fallen creation. This is an imitation. Um, but even then, to transcend and understand the spiritual, everything here is, if, even if it's an imitation of the original, there's things to be learned from nature. It's not fallen. It's just different. Um, so... It's just different. But let's say this was the ideal world, all right? Everything's good. You don't have to struggle and strive and strain. and Everything is the way that it was described as the golden age, all right? Let's say that we are living in the golden age. And, this, and I decide that I want to travel. Well, I know the trees here where I'm at. I know the trees. I know the plants. I know the animals. I know the insects. I know the, the grass and, and the weeds and all the things that grow here I know. If I decided to travel and go somewhere, because I, I, you know, it's ideal, I can go meet people in different places. Let's say I, I, I go to India, for example, or China, wherever, Australia even. And there they have different, they're in the ideal situation. They have all the plants and all the water and everything that they need. But because of the difference in where they're at and where I'm at, they have different plants and different animals. Well, now I have an adversity. I have an adversity because I have to un overcome my lack of knowledge and my communication with them in order to learn what nature has to teach me there. I hope that conveyed the idea to you clearly. Because even under ideal circumstances, the golden age of mankind in the world, if you were to travel, it's different. It didn't say it was the same everywhere. It was very diverse. 
Well, diversity itself would would create adversity to people because you would have to learn the song of nature um, in that place to overcome your desire to travel. You'd also have to overcome fear. You know, if you have everything you need here, you could be fearful about going over there. Well, you know, you have to overcome that fear to go go to Australia. <laughs> and then you have to overcome all kinds of emotional content and psychological and mental content in order to communicate with the people in Australia and to learn the song of their land and their trees and their animals. Or in, in the case of Australia, I believe they call it the story of the trees and the land and the animals. But here we call it the song. Um, other people call it the song. Every people, some people call it the heartbeat. Of, of their lands. But the whole point I'm trying to get at is, is even under the most ideal circumstances, and it might actually be worse because you, if you live somewhere and everything is ideal, everything that you need is provided for you to overcome that. And the fear and the possibilities of, of, of want and the possibility of, of not finding what you're looking for. You have to overcome all those mental and emotional hurdles to go and then when you get there you have more physical hurdles that you have to overcome um that is the journey that is the the reason for myth is to give you impetus to say hey look this person's done it before which means you can do it you just have to overcome those limitations that you put on yourself or somebody else has put on you i mean it's not always us that put the limitations on but it creates this dualism. You know, you've got the mystics like me and those who are spiritual who understand that nature is good. Even in the state that it's in right now, as, as, as bullocked up as it is, as destroyed as it has been by these nihilists, um, these non-spiritual, non-life entities, as bullocked up as this is, and as bad as they have destroyed it, it's toxic. You know, I, I hate to use references, that, that, but I'll use references that people know about. In the days of Noah, the, the, everything was toxic. The word is toxic. The air was toxic. The land was toxic. The plants were toxic. The food was toxic. The water was toxic. They had poisoned everything. They had turned it into a toxic wasteland. And if you don't think this world as it is now is a toxic wasteland, you have no recollection whatsoever of what's actually going on. You know, here's another mystic revelation. Everything you eat has microplastics in it. When a woman breastfeeds her baby, she's breastfeeding her brand new baby, microplastics. Glyphosate is in 90% of the population of the world. And in places where they have outlawed glyphosate, it's in their bodies in lower quantities, but it's still there. So if you don't think, I mean, a brand new baby coming out of the womb, mom puts it on the breast and she's feeding that baby microplastics and, and glyphosate. And who knows what other kinds of chemicals. Those are just the two main toxics, toxic ones that I'm covering. But, you know, anything that she's been exposed to, that baby's getting. And since we know that those two main ones, microplastics and, and glyphosate, are in everything, even accidentally, quote-unquote, in everything, um, you know, even organics are turning up glyphosate. Now there's a mystical teaching. If you poison one thing, you poison everything. That's the difference between the nihilists and the mystics. That's the difference between true nihilism and true naturalism. And it's not a religion. That's another convolution that they've created. 
to have respect and reverence for nature and what it can teach you is not animism. It's not nature. Naturalism is a religion. It's not worshiping nature. It's not worshiping animals. It's being reverent and responsible and husbanders of the lands. You know, they've convoluted this. What it said, go forth, take care of the lands, take care of the animals. Any religion that you want to look at, it says, be responsible to that which is around you. Not dominate that which is around you. See, there's that changed. They changed it from be responsible and be careful of everything around you to dominate everything around you. It's yours. It's your divine right. At the same time, they're destroying it. <laughs> so it's your divine right to have it while us nihilists destroy it. It's, it's crazy, right? And then you've got this forbidden thing, you know? There's always this uh, forbidden thing. Well, you're forbidden to go over to that valley. You're forbidden to go into that temple. You're forbidden to go out into the ocean. You're forbidden to go up into the mountains. There's always this forbidden thing. You're forbidden to go see these people. Don't go see those people. They're terrible. You're forbidden. There's always this forbidden thing in the myth, in the mythos. Um, don't go to that island. The God that lives there hates people. Well, why does he hate me? He doesn't know me. I'm going. It's forbidden. No, it's not. A mystic doesn't believe in forbidden. A mystic believes in, it might be off limits to you, but I want to know what's there. I seek knowledge. I seek knowledge that leads to understanding, that leads to wisdom. So there is nothing forbidden. I want to know. I'm going. And, and what happens is, is that forbidden thing tends to be the one thing that initiates the living of a life. Well, you know, we've always lived here and you can't, we want you to stay here. We don't want you to leave this valley. We've always lived in this valley. This valley's taking good care of us and it's forbidden. We all stay here. And what happens in the myth is that person says, well, why? He's looked around. He's listened to nature. He's seen the animals travel. He's seen the birds fly out of the valley and come back. He's like, well, if the birds fly out of the valley and come back, there's learning from nature. There's esoteric right there. So if the birds fly out of the valley and come back, I can go out of the valley and come back. So what happens is, is, is uh, that one thing that was forbidden, whatever it might be, you know, going to the island of the gods, going to the island of the giants, going out into the ocean in a place that, that the evil creatures live, um, going over the mountains, you know, going down the river to see what's there. That's forbidden. And what happens is, is that one act of overcoming those limitations initiates that individual into the living of a life. Now, there might be adversity and tragedy and comedy and, and expansion and explosion and extravagant transcendent experiences. But it's that one act, it's that violation of the limitation that leads to living a full and expansive life. Now, some of them die tragically. tragically. They make a mistake and they die. But that's the lesson. That's the lesson of the myth. This was a bad judgment. And this is what happens if you make it. You know, it's living life vicariously through these stories. And then... Uh, 
a lot of people talk about, you know, the snake, the, the representations of the snake. And, you know, don't get me wrong, we have the dragon bloodlines and we have the, the irreverent and the uh, unsacred and the unholy representations that the snake is used for. We have this. But that is, uh, that is a usurpation and an er- inversion of what the snake used to represent. The snake represented the shedding of yesterday. You know, when the snake sheds, it's letting go of yesterday. All right? It's, it's shrugging off the skin that carries all the burdens of yesterday. Now, it doesn't forget the lessons of yesterday. It just shrugs off the burdens of yesterday. And it does it throughout its lifetime. The snake sheds throughout its lifetime. Therefore, it changes itself throughout the whole time that it's, it's living. You know? Um, we've gotten into this thing. We're back to the dualism. You know, nature and natural acts whether it be sex or eating or swimming or running around naked, nature, what is natural, and the acts that would be considered natural, they have to be tamed and controlled. It's part of the fallen and evil nature of everything. You know, it has an evil of its own existence, you know, that which is natural. Be careful with sex. If you have too much of it, you know, it's... Look, y'all, if you have sex in a transcendental way with meaning and exchange of energy, you could have sex as much as possible. And it's not harmful. It's actually natural. There are animals, and I'm just bringing this particular thing up, but there are animals that have social sex all the time because it keeps them connected. It's not about getting pregnant. It's not about reproduction. It's about culture and society and socializing and exchanging and and being part of each other's lives there are four-legged animals that do it there are mammals that do it there are mammals in the ocean like porpoises and whales that have sex because they have sex it's not about getting pregnant it's about connecting they have social sex everybody's like oh i said no (laughs) it's about bonding but they do it without they do it without a take it's an exchange. And that's where they have taken something natural and turned it into something evil. When they made sex an act of domination and serving oneself, they did create something that was not nice and, and something that was evil. When it became self-serving and self-focused and self-satisfaction, then it's not natural. That's my whole point. First, they manipulated sex and all kinds of other things, but sex is a very specific one because we all have it, so everybody can understand it. They first manipulated sex to be self-serving and self-satisfaction. Self-serving, self-satisfying, and a egoistic thing. And then they said, well, it's evil. Afterward, after the fact. When in fact, the natural process of having sex whether it be socially or, or inside of a marriage or, or, or for reproduction, the, the whole point of ha- having sex is that exchange of energy and, and exchange of body fluids even because you're exchanging DNA at that time. You're connecting yourself to somebody. I talked about this in my Sex Magic podcast. What they have done is they have created an evil emotional and physiological aspect 
to sex. And they have beat it into people's heads through storytelling of theirs. And the elimination of the old stories about the sexual encounters that were good. They have, they have warped and inverted and propagated the whole concept of self-serving, ego, uh, self-satisfaction. It's your right to, to be satisfied. Don't worry about the other person. It's your right to take that energy. Don't worry about giving anything back. They have created that. And then, after centuries of doing so, they dared to call it evil. Well, it is evil, and it's their creation because it's unnatural. It eliminates the spiritual. It eliminates the natural. And that's the reason why the old mythology from the mystics talked about sex for what it was. It is an exchange of life energy. It is a bonding of life energy that is very difficult to break. And if done correctly, you will be connected throughout your whole life in a positive way with no regrets, no remorse, no bad consequences, just a connection to someone that you would not have had and a much more intense connection to someone than you would have had had you not bonded in that way well y'all we are at an hour that is the end of part one i'm just gonna cut it off right there um you know it's it's about the nature and the natural versus the inverted and the corrupted you know it's not a it's not an accident that the same people who have attacked mythology as superstitious and 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 fiction are the same ones who have corrupted the relationships between humanity and nature, between humanity and humanity, all the subdivisions and false hatreds. They've created all these things that are completely unnatural. You know, the natural thing would be to go to Africa and experience Africa with people who live there. That would be nature teaching you wisdom, not going to Africa and forcing them to adapt to you. Which is what a lot of people who go on vacation do. They expect that place to be just exactly like where they live. With a little tour that they can go on. That's different. <laughs> you know, I want to try their food. But I want food like I eat here at the hotel. That's unnatural, y'all. What's natural is to get on a boat, land on the shore, meet someone from there, and go live and experience what they do so that you hear the song of the land and the song of their people. That is what a mystic would tell you. The nihilist would tell you, no, you conquer them and make them do things your way because nature is fallen and it's evil. But hey and all, everybody, that is the end of part one. Part two will be up shortly. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.